What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. My name is Albert Okran. Welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard, led by Comfort. This is your most inspirational show and the point of convergence for the greatest minds. Your virtual university is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation in partnership with the Multimedia Group and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, UMB Bank, the Enterprise Group, with support from the graphic business. Today, we continue our executive hotline where we bring you busy executives, CEOs, and heads of institutions that you otherwise would not meet in your ordinary day-to-day life and ask them the questions that are on your mind. And earlier in the week, we announced that we'll be getting a very special guest. You sent loads and loads of questions. And it's my privilege to welcome into the studios Prince Kofia Mwabing. Chief, good to see you. (laughs) Uh, nice to be here. Mr. Mabin needs no introduction, co-founder and um, former chief executive of UT Bank, a UT group of companies. He's just written a book that I think is probably one of the hottest properties in the system today, the UT story, Humble Beginnings, Volume 1. Obviously, means that there's much more coming up. And if you want a gripping, no-holds-bad corporate story, this is the read. Chief, what made you write? Um, it's always been on my mind to write. I mean, I know that this Africans or Ghanaians don't read and all that, but that's the only way of leaving a legacy for the next generation. You have to document your exploits and things like that. So it's been on my mind way back. I think some 10 years ago, my ex-wife, asked me if I'll write a book. And I look at him and say, why are you, you want a paragraph in the book or something? Is that why you're asking me? <laughs> By the way. Then sometime back, maybe back, so I took it, I took the challenge up and I got a friend of mine to sort of start interviewing me and to put a book together. Uh, but at some point we have to shelve it because the two of us, I mean, we didn't agree on something like, it was a bit too, um, opinionated, and I wanted a book that sticks to the facts. Then, uh, of course, after UT, uh, when I left UT Bank, before it was assumed some two years uh, later, um, I was, it came to me again. But even before that, I wanted to write a book, but I wanted a book that has to be some significance. So um, when um, I chanced on... Uh, Richard Branson's uh, Virgin Galactica, and he says you should pay $200,000 and be one of the first people to be taken to space. I got interested and I said, ah, I want to go to space. And then when I come back, I write a book, Kukrantumi to Space. Wow. <laughs> but that also didn't happen. And uh, so about um, five years ago, uh, I met this young man, George who came with a proposal that we should do some TV series or something of my life. And I said, no, I think what I want to do is to do a book. And I said that he could do the book. And uh, I looked at him and said, oh, you have you written a book before? <laughs> and he said, oh, he can give it a try. He's been trained, he's a trained journalist and so on and so forth. And brought quite a reasonable proposal. And I said, okay, let's, let's try it. 
And uh, for the past three years, we've been at it. First, we're going to write one book. Then it was like, the material that I have, I don't know where to, you know, uh, cut off and so on and so forth. Let's, let, let's make it two books. Then uh, it was like, no, two we even tell the whole story. So now what we have is three books that are coming. So, and this is what we want. I'll tell you what, for somebody who's done 26 and somebody who's run it, a publishing business for years, my criteria for judging a book, and I'll, I'll tell you for the benefit of the public, I always will start with the cover. The cover is super. I love the dual, the duality of your corporate on one hand, then the military on the, on the other side. I like the simplicity of the, of the cover design. Then I tend to the back to read about the book about the author, and I like your guy, your guyish picture here. <laughs> it's great. And then I go inside and I look at the quality of the print and the layout, and these are criteria you should judge a good book before I even get to the content. And I must say that you and your team, George and the team, have done a fantastic job. And my really what I love about it is the candor. It talks about the issues as they are and takes you into. I found myself reading them in the middle of the night and leaning forward and imagining the, the, the scenarios as they were filmed. I loved it. Thank you so much. Coming, coming from you, I, I feel really humble. Yeah. When I came to invite you for the grand convocation in February 2011, you spoke at the trade fair, 5th of February. And when I came to invite you, I asked you whether you would write. Okay. Well, you forgot yourself. I didn't my name to the story. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that, probably, I got it imprinted in my mind. Who knows? Maybe the scene was there. Yeah. Well, it was there at the time. But fast forward, I think this is a great um, beginning. I'm looking forward to the two other, the sequel, the second and third edition. I, I, I want to encourage uh, listeners and viewers to, to read it for themselves and travel the journey with you. But I want to pick out some key lessons that I feel are very key. My focus today is on the entrepreneurial journey. And I'll tell you why. I mean, before we got on air, I was telling you why I think it's absolutely imperative that we raise many more Ghanaian entrepreneurial stories. And that's why you are the perfect guest for this conversation. So, Seth, let's talk about the beginnings, entrepreneurship. What sparked it in you? Was it occurring to me? Was it somebody you saw? Was it something that... And this is coming, by the way, this is coming from... Beatrice Pinion, Kenneth Otim Oday, and Brand Bibia on Facebook. They want to know how did you feel when you started? What inspired you and what led to you going into business? Well, that's a good question. Um, I went to school like every normal person, secondary school, university. Then uh, if you read the book, you see that after university, I didn't know where I was going. Um, my life wasn't anything to write home about. Uh, I was just uh, close from national service work and the drinking and nightlife and all that. Then I took a decision that, listen, I think I need a bit of discipline. And um, the scholarship that I hoped I was going to get didn't come through. So then I applied to join the army to get a bit of discipline for myself. So it was self-introspection which took me to the military. Now, when I joined the military, I loved the military. I wasn't going to come out of the military. But uh, then the events of June 4th and then later on PNDC and things made me walk out of the military. So I walked out of the institution that I loved. And I, there were no jobs at the time. There was the 83, um, Rollins Chain and Hunger and things like that. So it, it, I went into business by default. It wasn't like I was born to be a business person. No, I think mine was purely by default. And um, when I didn't have anything to do because I left the army without plan B, then um, I, my next door neighbor, who was a businessman, became my very close friend. Because those days we had curfews. So you close early and you had nowhere to go. So I walked to my next door neighbor. It's, it's called Emmanuel Tete. And I. I was he was into all sorts of businesses. Uh, basically, buy and sell. He would order those these calculators from Germany, where he had stayed a bit, and then he was selling them. So I became his assistant in selling calculators. Then he said that he had registered a sawmill, and I should be part of it. And he liked my uh, availability 
because he, those is all business people were, were, were afraid of soldiers and what they could do to them. And me coming from the army, I didn't have any fear for the soldiers, so I was sort of protecting him. And then I was also learning the business, uh, the business of doing business in Ghana. So that's how I got into business, by default. And and as I've put in the book, for about 15 years, I was in the business wilderness, learning and doing all kinds of businesses. Give me an idea about the color, the size, and the shape of what you call the business wilderness. What did you try? How was it like? It lasted for 15 years before I started Unitrust. And um, when I started, as I said, so buy and sell, then went into sawmill. Then I broke off with my uh, original partner. But before that, we did all sort of businesses. We imported electrodes from uh, Ivory Coast to sell. I was into air conditioning business. I was into construction, both uh, road construction and civil I was into oil business, both midstream and downstream as being dealer at the petrol station. I went to importation of wines, which got into trouble, which is uh, in the book. Um, I, I did almost everything, you know, and it was to actually prepare me for what I had to do in hindsight. Because 15 years of doing all kinds of businesses, failing in most of them, doing new ones and so on and so forth. Um, when I started Unitrust, I realized that I had been through serious and rigorous training. Because then I was a businessman, a practitioner in the SME sector, trying to fund that sector. I am interested in the part you just described because I'm sure that as you speak, there are people listening who are saying, uh-huh. he's telling my story. What does the person in the wilderness do? Because you see with the benefit of hindsight, that means that the, you must have been thinking differently at the time you were hustling. So in those 15 years, and that's 15 years of your prime, yeah. the prime of your life. Yeah. I mean, you've gone to a disco, you believe yourself. Yeah. I was a graduate, I was a chartered accountant, I was a retired army officer, and I was selling uh, wine. Good looking. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> but by the way, you look, you look very, very good for your age. And I, I, I've commented on it a yeah, couple yeah. of times. I, I think the God has been good to you. Absolutely. You've been mean, good to yourself too. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, it's all God's uh, blessings. Yeah. Wonderful. So in those 15 years, how did you feel? Well, I was basically a hustler. I was trying to find something to do, and I was trying to create opportunities, and basically to make money. Um, but I could have made money earlier on, because I had a lot of opportunities, like importation of the wine, the air conditioning business, and so on and so forth. Um, but I realized that I always came to this uh, uh, stop the stumbling block, and that was funding. But when you be able to create the business, you need the funding to back it up, and it was very difficult all the time. And um, I, I think it got to a point where it hit me that listen, instead of being turned down all the time, what does it entail? You are a chartered accountant, you dance for fishing, and you know about accounting and fishing and management and you have all this expertise, why don't you help the people that I like you? Because I said, if as a chartered accountant, retired army officer, and with all the experience that I had, if I couldn't raise money from the financial institutions, i.e. the banks, then certainly almost all the people in the business sector and individuals might be suffering. So I will, I will change it. Now, this is what I normally call the core. I think we all get the call at some point, so many times, or maybe at some point or the other, where something irritates you and you can't, you have sleepless nights, you can't sleep at night. It's a call for you to do something about it if you have what it takes to do it. Because the other businesses, all the that we were talking about, it was, I wasn't passionate about them. I was just doing them because there were good margins to, to be made uh, or, or returns to be made in those businesses. But when you have a business which is a core, which 
you want to do to change the effect on humanity, that brings the passion. One of the things that scares me, thrills me and scares me at the same time, is when a person can see the same thing and say the same thing again after 10 years without blinking an eye. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to play back to you exactly what you said 10 years ago, in fact, the 5th of February 2011. <laughs> let me read, let me read the transcript of what you said and play it for you, sir. You said, if you, if you love what you are doing and you love the people that you are doing it for and you offer what you love to the people you love, you cannot feel. Absolutely. And that is what you are describing. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, what I say is passion. So you call pa it passion. Yeah, the passion comes from, I say, two loves. Love the product or the service you're providing. And then love the people that uh, are benefiting from it. So if naturally you love people, you want to see people do better. That is one side of it. But then how do you help them to do better? By having a product or service that you know will affect their lives and make their lives better. Have you believed this all your life? Because because you're very certain about this. Um, I think it came to me while I was doing business. Because I did a lot of business as I was saying. But none of them was was um, executed in the way I started doing Unitrust. Because, fine, you want to do timber, so you go to the bush. And then uh, you get some equipment and you want to cut him back to come and sell. For some people, that's the call because they know that they can probably deliver the timber in a special way different from what the people are doing. You see, it also comes with knowing that you're going to do it differently and it's an improvement on what is existing. If you're going to do the same thing that everybody's doing, then there's, there's no excitement. So that is what led you to start YouTube. I started UT because I was addressing a problem that I was facing, which I knew a lot of people were facing. I felt it wasn't right. And the banks were doing something wrong. And they were not listening to the people. They were not there for the people. They didn't love the people. They just after their money. Would you call it a protest? In a way, yeah. In a way. And I, I think we, we gave the banks a run for the money at some point in time. Because we were at when we were at our peak, Every bank was discussing the UT phenomenon in their boardroom. I know, I know that for sure. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think was the biggest? I, I, I think from every strategy session that I moderated, I made one reference from the UT story, and I think that was your biggest selling position. But let me find out if I'm consistent with what you think. What do you think was the one thing that made you stand out? Um, I think alone in 48 hours. I agree. That was it. Because that was our biggest unique selling proposition. And you see, when you reflect on it, we are defined by the time we have on Earth. Every human being, every, every plant. When your time is finished, it means you are no more here. So people will protect their time and even pay more for their time. And they feel respected when you respect their time. So when you want a facility and you say, that, I can do it for you in 48 hours, when you used to be about three months or something like that, you have endeared yourself to, to the people. I recall it the day I came to, to invite you for the program. When I got there, I could see you were very busily signing transactions for people to receive their their loans. And then we started a meeting. And then in the middle of the meeting, somebody just walked in, not walked in, and brought a document and said, I'll hold them. And then you signed a document and said to me, if I don't do this, I can't meet my obligation for 48 hours processing. Did it define everything you did? Yeah, once we put it out there that I'm doing 48 hours, and before we did put it out there, we had experimented with it and knew we could do our loans at least 90% in 48 hours. And once you make a commitment to the people, you must actually respond to it. You must commit to it. You just, you just don't put it out there. And so we had situations where even during board meetings, I will ask the board to hold on and then we sign documents and then continue the board meeting. Because you must stick to the deadline. Was, was it done to communicate to those around you? Absolutely. The importance that it helped for you? Absolutely. Because you see, you are the number one 
staff and how you respond to the policies and rules of the company is a message to everybody else. And in any case, if I do it and you don't do it, you have a lot of explanation to do. Did it put pressure on you? In a way. In a way, um, it did. But um, the business had consumed me. I'm taking my whole life. So I would do what was right and uh, set the tone. And what was wrong as well? No, no, what was wrong, really. Uh, what was wrong, we all have faults. So by default, you could do something that is wrong. But not deliberate. If you know it's against the company policy, you dare not do it. Let's talk about company policy. Your methods were the, the big discussion at the time. I mean, it was thought that some of the things you did were crazy. I mean, they used to describe you as a crazy man. <laughs> do you know that? Ah, uh, yeah, they called me all sorts of names, but... Uh, you didn't bother you? No, 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 not at all. You see, one thing, Reverend, uh, is that when people say you are crazy or you are bad, they, they are not finding ways of taking advantage of you. So, well, that's it's as simple as that. When they say this man, oh, you don't mind him, he's crazy, he's so good. Me, they are not getting their way with you, so stay the way you are. So, if it's a very nice man, it means, oh, no, 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 you are, you are messing up. This <laughs> <laughs> a new one. So, yeah. so, you, so, so for you, the being called being called the crazy computer on me at the time was, was, was motivated you. It was very good. I said, stay the same. But the benefit of those who, those, who, those who don't know, let's talk about some of your recovery, your recovery approaches and the things that gave you the... Make me famous. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what inspired them? I mean, looking back, what inspired them? Was it the same protest as how things were done or, or was it seen as a necessary, even in quotes, to keep the business on course? Um, it was very simple. I don't understand why some Ghanaians don't understand. Um, we went to people who believe in our dream and our vision to literally beg them for their savings and lifetime, whatever it is. And we had promised them that we'll pay them the money back plus interest on it. It was a firm process. So we had two set of clients, those who provide the funds and those who needed the funds. Now, when we have taken people's monies on trust and we come to you and we listen to your problem and say, listen, I think the problem can be solved like this and we give you these people's monies and you walk away with it. I think the least you should expect these uh, borrowers to do is if something should go wrong, they should come back or call you uh, to discuss the issue. But it is quite annoying and disrespectful to say the least. When, after you've done that, and it's time for them to pay, they just don't bother. And we have to now find time to go and look for them. Do you, do you think it's cultural? It is cultural in a way. Um, some people walk into offices to take a loan, knowing that they, they don't want to pay. Why? It's... Some people think, oh, uh, any money was available, one and what as you go and take it and chop it. Because when they take the money, you'll be surprised the kind of things they do with it, some of them. They probably buy a new car, marry a new woman, or build a house, or go for funeral. Or if the uncle dies or somebody dies, then, then forget it, your money is gone. And they go and you see them in big clothes with chains and things that with women following them. And it's your money that they use it for that. Do you sometimes see clients who are oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. funerals? How do you make it feel? No, no, if you are only at the time, I'll confront you then. <laughs> right at the funeral. Oh, yeah, yeah, at the funeral. <laughs> One client came to me, I couldn't find. When my mother died, stupidly enough, he came there oh, because he thought that was when I was at the UK's point. And he was beauty. I saw him coming, so I got up and said, Cut out this bullshit. You know you own it. You stay here. Are you serious? Yeah, of course. Your mother's funeral. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You weren't chasing your money. He was owing me. You know what I'm going to say? You know. Yeah, so, um, we had to put some discipline in them. Interestingly enough, some of my clients said I discipline them when it comes to money and managing their businesses. When I come back from this bit, I want to find out whether, with the benefit of hindsight, if you had to do this again, and there's a number of questions that are asking the same question, <laughs> that if you had to do this again, would you use the same approach? And then find out for me, looking back at some of the incredible successes that you achieved, and also some of the bottlenecks that you faced. What lessons can young people seeking to go into business glean? And that, for me, is the crux of the matter. 
This is Springboard Investor University, and I'm enjoying my conversation with Prince Kofi Annabe, founder and former CEO of the UT Bank, the UT Group of Companies, as we digest the UT story. I mean, you and I know we can't finish this, but let's get some entrepreneurial lessons, and let's see how we can inspire many more authentic Ghanaian entrepreneurial stories. Please enjoy. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you can be anything, who will you become? When you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you and everyone's behind you and the whole world awaits you. Don't go alone. Go with us. Everywhere you go. Hello. Dear valued customer. Hmm. Hey, Asemo. The entire customer service team is out for lunch. Please call back in four hours. What? Me nana be dia kona mama me bad service ano. Me kokra. Ah, nana. With Bounce from Enterprise D, you will love the customer service experience, Keke. I'm available for you 24-7 on the Enterprise Advantage app, the Enterprise website, and on WhatsApp number 055-400-1924. Hello? Babs. Chat with Babs from Enterprise, your contact for insurance, pensions, funeral, and property solutions from the Enterprise Group. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products, and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we're poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. Welcome back to Springboard, your virtual university, and to this absolutely brilliant conversation with Prince Kofi Amwabi, my guest for today on the executive hotline. This is the phone. You ask the questions, I transfer them to him, and I get the answers, and I ask my follow-up questions. And we are trying to find out the entrepreneurial lessons in his journey and using them as springboards for young entrepreneurs, people who are struggling in their own wilderness, to help you to navigate your way to the top. You ended by saying you were consumed, consumed by the business. What, what does it mean? Um, it simply means, I mean, I found myself in the right place and touching people's lives. Not just my staff or the people working for me, but you could see the effect 
and businesses and employment and putting food on people's table. It's a very beautiful feeling. And you want to just to do more and you, you dedicate your life to it. I, I, I remember the first person who impressed me with the word Ubuntu was yourself. And it was almost like a revelation that you had gotten. And that by the law of attraction, once you mentioned that word and you explained why it meant so much to you, I began to look out for it, look at other countries where it was such a big deal. What was it about Ubuntu? Is it related to what you just said? That feeling Absolutely. Of, of impacting people, transforming people by the by doing business. Yeah, Ubuntu, as as you know, is uh, I am who I am because of you, and uh, it's it's it says it's one world, and uh, we're here to impact each other and make the world a better place. So uh, it's about sharing, being responsible for each other, and so on and so forth. And when you when you're in a position where you know that you know you are touching people's lives positively, it's a, a very unique and job place to be. So you want to give more and more of yourself. Do you do you think you were misunderstood at the peak of your business? Some people, I mean, those who said, "Oh, don't mind him," and then you go for a loan, and then he, he you can't pay, and then you take your property. They they certainly understand. But they were not my problem because we never ever went to someone and said, go and take your property and come and take a loan. In actual fact, we, tend, we, we tended to send people away because they didn't qualify to take the loan because they couldn't pay. So um, the wider public or our clients, the customers, we were satisfying definitely. And they were very happy with us. I wish we have all sort of cocktails and parties and things and shared common uh, Interests and things like that. So, um, I don't worry about those who didn't understand us. I just kept going, satisfying people, and letting people appreciate what we were doing. So, David, David Suter on Facebook asks a question. He says, given the opportunity, what would you have done differently to safeguard the UT dream and legacy? It's, it's a question which comes up again and again. Um, you see, I can't change who I am. And I think I did the things I did because of my training from childbirth, through schools, university, military. It gave me certain characteristics. Um, it gave me love for people, discipline, and applied it. Um, I believe in systems, um, institutions, processes, policies, but I also love people. That part, I don't put it in front. You have to put the hard part in front so that people won't take undue advantage of you. And when I, I appoint people or put people in place, I trust them and I give them the leeway to do their best. And, and uh, unless they really, really mess up, um, I always give them a second chance or something like that. So what I mean is that my position of trusting people and giving them rules, and giving them responsibilities, it won't change. Um, so uh, there were things that I probably have look, look, looked at again. I mean, like now, you don't for, probably give responsibility and give them too much room to operate on their own, because most of the problems that we had came out of mistrust. Whilst we trusted them, maybe the people shouldn't have been trusted that much. So then I've learned lessons there as how far you, you trust people and give it rules. Um, and you probably have to rein them in a bit. The people let you down. Oh, yeah, but um, it's, it's the order of the day. I mean, people that you trusted didn't do what you felt they, 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 they should have done. Internally or externally? Internally and externally. I mean, I have some of the staff that I trusted that uh, later on I go to the thing they had done. I said, wow. So uh, I had to be looking behind me all the time. I didn't do that. And then, of course, with what happened outside, to I'm surprised about the way people have gone about it. Um, but it's okay. I mean, if, if we shut down uh, my company, you haven't shut me down. You shut the company down, and you've used the system to shut it down. So it's, it's, I have to deal with it. You're looking very content very relaxed. And if I may add, 
almost very are you happy i'm a very very happy person tell me about it tell me about it and why you're happy i think uh, how do i go back i think you see we come into the world because the creator thinks or believes that we can add something to the world and i look at my life and know how my life has been useful i've been made useful to people so at least i haven't disappointed the creator he's used me to touch lives and to change the world a bit and i also wonder why for example i'm the way i am i'm i don't forsake i do as do you, a, do you feel blessed absolutely more than blessed you know so i'm happy and content the only time that i feel that um, things should have gone better is when it comes to some of the investors who believed the dream who lost money because they believed in me and so on and so on. but at least i did my best under the circumstances and i can't change it but when it comes to me and what god has done with me and my life and the blessings he's given me is is beyond bounds i will never understand let me explore a theme that crossed my mind because a d and son asked whether you think your exit from the bank led to the eventual collapse and i want to juxtapose that against joe adams jr who has a similar question he says why did you exit so early knowing the history of entities and how the founder exists and hands over the mantle and does not necessarily go the way they expect it seems that he was watching tv and when he saw that you say i heard you but he predicted that to collapse i mean that is i'm dramatizing it a bit but he almost says he he assumed it would and was not surprised do you share the thoughts of joe adams and bank station the bank wasn't doing well and part of the restructuring i offered that lesson i think i've been from the beginning all the way to now uh you know you see, they say that uh, if water stays too long in a bottle it, it, it gets sent or sent comes in so and i said maybe i've stayed too long so part of trying to restructure the bank and put the bank back was me exiting that's how i saw it that let's get fresh pair of hands fresh eyes and things that come and see what the problem is and try and solve it so the problem started when i was there and i left to give the i thought that leaving was to give the better chance to the company to pick up again right yeah. so so from where you sit it was not necessarily your exit that led to you. the exit was supposed to bring the bank back but actually as a as a spated its demise a point you made 10 years ago in your submission at the trade fair center the springboard grand finale you talked about the three stages of ut starting unique trust out of your frustration and curiosity then you talked about growing it and dealing with lack of strategic institutions and having to sketch sketch the routes to people's houses then we talked about the opportunities and challenges of fusing a successful model into a new bank with the benefit of 10 years from when you spoke at that time the bank had started you were gaining momentum with the benefit of 10 years would you see that the change from the successful unique trust model to the ut bank reduce your sharpness or the model the transition of the model did not come out as well as you would have liked um yes and no you see the transition to the bank um had its own problems a lot of them we saw most of them but obviously we didn't see the whole uh, spectrum um we took over a bank an existing bank which was an alien bank because if it's not in that stage you can't take it back so we took that bank over and then we merged it with uh, ut financial services and between the bank the old bank and ut financial services we didn't have what the regulator calls bankers top bankers because we were not bankers and the 
bank, the old bank, had lost its top people. So we had to now push bankers for, from various banks, from Access, from Stanchat, from UBA, from all sort of banks. Now, the, I think that was our biggest problem, if you ask me. Now, we had what made us succeed was the unique culture that we had created culture of openness, of Ubuntu, of respect for all, of integrity. Now, all of a sudden, there are about 200 more people just joining. When you have the culture and you're growing organically, it's easy for you to infect the two, three people who come in and so on and so forth. But when you have 200 coming in, and some of them coming in to sit at the very top heads of all the departments. So they come with their own cultures, and the cultures that they brought clash with our culture. So um, that for me was the biggest problem that we had. So whilst I was leading a culture that was unique to us, then comes the departmental head, who then breaks the chain and, and then institutes his or her own culture. And um, then also there were the processes that had to change because we're now a bank, for example, first UT Financial said, we'll give you your money and you bring it back. Now we had to go into relationship banking because we want you to keep deposits there. And so, so we had a lot of issues, which is going to come out in the third book. Now, when we're going to banking, we were all very much excited about it because I remember we were at a strategy session when one person, I don't remember who said, sir, why don't we go into banking? And the whole place went quiet because we never thought of going to banking. I had even said somewhere that we didn't go into banking because it was banking that actually led to the protest. Exactly. We were protesting against banking. Why do we join them? But the guy made a very salient contribution. He said, clients will come to us. We do a loan for them in 48 hours. Then they take the money and go and deposit in a bank and ask for an LC, letter of credit. So if we get into a bank, we don't have to do a loan for them. We just give a letter of credit. And we can do it faster. And then we save them monies. And I said, wow, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Because <laughs> we'll be paying for our, our money, the interest on our money and also paying for LC charges. But really, the, the bank just keeps the money for free and receives the, LC, uh, the good before they honor the LC. So those were some of the very strong points that they did. So then we had to change our idea of not going to bank and say, no, no, let's take them on and change the whole situation for the betterment of Ghanaians or for business people. So um, to come back to your point, yes, um, I think we, we went there with the right reasons and tackled the problems as we came along. So I wouldn't have changed, would have done the same thing. But if I have to start again now, I'll probably, get, if I get there, I'll say, hold oh, no. on, you know. And of course, I will know what to do uh, from the lessons that we've learned. What, what is in this for the young entrepreneur listening right now? Should this be small? Should they not grow too big? What is by, by all means, let them grow. When the opportunities are there, the market is there, and you see how your products or services are affecting society and so on and so forth, you have a passion for it, let it grow. But I read a book which is called Sapiens, uh, by, written by an anthropologist, and it says, for any human endeavor, when you reach the figure of 150, you must reinvent yourself. Mm. Uh, UT grew to a point where we're about 200. We didn't reinvent ourselves. Rather, we added a bank and other stuff to it. So that we're probably maybe about, uh, for the bank, we're about maybe 600 people. And we were more or less doing the same thing, trying to run it with a great culture and trust and so on and so forth. So to your question, Definitely the opportunity is there, the market is there, and people love whatever you're doing. Grow, but watch at some point, you must reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. And an example, really, which is working very well, is the churches. So they're going to franchising or something like that. So you have a church, you're a pastor, you identify a place that you want to go and set up, you have some basic rules that you have to keep, 
You keep the name and this and standards so you don't bring the brand down. That's one way of reinventing yourself. So you look at ways of reinventing yourself. Unfortunately, and this is sad, but I don't blame them. What I realize is that most Ghanaian businessmen or some Ghanaian businessmen, as soon as they reach a stage, then they start employing Indians and Chinese to work for them because they cannot trust Ghanaians. It's a way of reinventing yourself, but it is sad as a Ghanaian. So let me finish and say, yes, grow as much as you can, but look in the, at the environment and reinvent yourself when you get to a figure 150. This is a magic number, and I'm sure somebody's written down the number and circled it with red yeah. pen. Yeah. First, let's talk about two things, and, I, and then I'll, I'll let you go for today, and then wait for the second one. <laughs> two things that are on my mind. One is the point where things were imploding, and the second is post post the bank being closed down. Let's talk about at the point where things were unraveling. How did you feel? Uh, it was not a good feeling and it was gradual and I saw it. You know, because you realize that when you start making losses, um, then it means your capital is going away. But that wasn't the biggest thing. Because wealth, for me, wealth doesn't really mean much. But then the capital goes away to a point where you know that the bank is now dependent on depositors' money. That is deadly. So something had to be done quickly uh, to change the situation or to reverse it. That is uh, a very, it's a really, really bad and uh, uh, what do I say? I mean, uh, it, it, it gets you down. Because you've dedicated your life to build a whole institution, a business empire. And I thought that my attention was on the other subsidiaries keeping to the brand and not letting it affect the bank. I didn't know that the bank was going to actually create a problem and let it affect the others. But the bank was a flagship. And that was where I was sitting as CEO. And when I saw things going the way it was going, um, it was really... Uh, it was deafening and, and, uh, and uh, it was something. That's why, you see, let me say this. I had wanted to exit when I was 60. And I had told people that if the rule is 60, you go on pension. Me, 60, I'm going. But I couldn't go at 60. Why? Because at 60, we had become a bank and gone public and we had to meet new uh, capital requirements and IFC and BEG wanted to be shareholders. One of the covenants was that I had to stay for at least two more years. I'll tell you what, I bought shares in UT, and, and, I, and I have no regrets. I was very proud to buy shares yeah. in, in, in a company that was, that, was, that was doing so much magic, if I may use that word. And just to say that you were like a class prefect at the time. If, if, if you will remember, 2009, when you were both a CEO, the most respected CEO in the country. Those awards meant a lot because it wasn't just... Um, awards that were voted by people still somewhere. It was peers voting yeah. for their, the one that they thought was their class prefect. And I was managed to be voted a seventh most respected CEO at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, was, those were my business days before I became also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I know how, what you represented for all of us at the time. And, and it was at 60 that you came to speak at the trade fair and you were full of life, wearing your green t-shirt and you had no intention to retire at the time. But looking back now, could you have walked away? Yeah, I meant to walk away. I meant to walk away. You see, you get to walk away from this life. So you don't get too attached to things. Um, material things, uh, companies, you have formed it, yes, but you hand over to the next generation. And I was ready to walk away. But they didn't let me walk away, as I was saying. And so when the bank started going down, the first thing I looked at was myself. Have I overstayed? Am I no, am I, have I gone stale? Because I'm past 60? And I told my boss myself, I think if I restructuring this bank, I want to step down so that you, the board can appoint somebody new with fresh ideas, dynamic to turn the force of the bank around. Let me end with with you now. You will be 70 shortly. In February. In February, in a couple of months time. Yeah. I tell you what, you, you've, you've lived the life. 
What what would be do you feel that you have in, imprinted your footprints in the sands of time? Yes, but I'm not done with what's, it. What's next for you? I have to finish the books. Okay. And other follow-ups. And I'm I'm well and I'm fit. So so uh you know um, in life, the first part of your life is to try and attain success. The second part is to be significant. And trying to attain success, that doesn't mean you're not significant, but the second part where you've achieved something is to actually uh, have more impact on society. It's more about impacting people and impacting uh, generations than uh, achieving success. So I think I'm there. So my life now is how I can use it to impact the next generation and other businesses and, 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 and humanity generally. So the books will be one of the centerpiece projects of your life. Absolutely. Are you going to go to banking again? Um, not in the rule that you saw me 10 years ago, waking up in the morning and chasing a CEO, never. But uh, I think if some financial institutions need my expertise, I'm sitting on a board or whatever, I'll, I'll look at it. But I think I have a lot of expertise to throw around. How do you spend your day, your day these days? Um, I play golf three or four times in a week. In fact, this book is taking me off golf a bit. And I have to check and put it back. Um, so an ordinary day, I wake up in the morning. Once a day, once a week, I'll go to the gym. And then I play golf four times in a week. Then I go to the office every day, weekday, but I go there pretending I'm working. Because <laughs> I don't do much compared to what I was doing. I mean, it's like, it's proper laughing. I go and sit there, check mail, check WhatsApp, Instagram. Dude, with WhatsApps. <laughs> with WhatsApps. <laughs> I, I once heard President, former President Rawlings talk about, the late former President Rawlings talk about the fact that when he left the presidency, he was driving on the liberation road and he found himself branching to the branching to the castle. <laughs> so he reminded himself that he's no longer in office. And he says, Charlie, it was like a, yeah. a, a confusing yeah. state for him. You find yourself sometimes. No, no, I don't. Because, you know, I retired two months before the bank was assumed. So I was fitting into the retirement rule. Uh, so it was just a continuation of it. Right. In the next five years of your life you're working on the book and other things that you want to leave a legacy with all said and done if any of my listeners my viewers sat in front of you and said senior i've enjoyed listening to you for the past hour and leave me with one lesson that can make me the next or the next mega story entrepreneurial story in Ghana, oh, it's on. Hmm. Uh, I was. Now, I will say that, you know, everyone is created special and you're supposed to find uh, your role in life. Because the creator put you here only because he knows that you, where he started you from, the parents and your, wherever you're born, you are destined to create something to add to his creation. So you have to look for it. And I think the easiest thing is for younger people, go through education, keep learning. Don't rush into situations because you never stop learning. And whilst you're learning, of course, it makes you someone special. You have an expertise and a uniqueness that is you. After that, listen to the core. What don't you like in the system? What irritates you as you go about your business and your life? Ask yourself, do I have the training and qualification to change it? What am I going to do differently about it to improve the lives of people? If you get it right, you'll be bigger than me. Mm. Very, very beautiful notes on which to end this amazing conversation. If you have been listening, this has been Springboard Virtual University, the executive hotline. I'm holding the phone and listening to your calls and your, your, your questions and passing them on to Prince Kofi Amadeng, author of this incredible book. And on your screen, 
I'm showing you the various places where you can get the book. I am personally endorsing this book and saying, listen, trust me, read this book. There's, I've not even delved into probably a tenth of what is in this book. And I, I love books. I mean, if you ever saw me at the, at the airport with ex, excess luggage, it, it will be books all the way. And I think you've done a great service to this nation and to humanity in writing. And I agree with you that the, the, the project has just begun and there's so much more that we can we can glean. I suspect that writing the three books about UT, you write about other things that you think the, 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 the world can benefit from. Now, if you've been listening, uh, these are the thoughts that I have gleaned from Prince Kofi Amwabeng. First, he says, I've always wanted to write, talking about legacy and significance, I've always, I've always wanted to write as a legacy for the next generation, and I didn't feel ready, but now is the time. Second one is about the military. He says he went to a directionless looking for discipline and walked away in protest because the military wasn't the military that he, he, he planned to go into at the time. The third one was about the business world and it's 15 years of trying different things, failed at some and learned entrepreneurship. And he says, you started UT at age, at our age? 45. 45. After trying 15 years of different businesses. And he started in protest because considering what he had as a person, if he couldn't get financial resources or support, then how much more the ordinary person? So he set out to solve a personal problem for himself and then for others. The fit was what he calls the call. Love people, find a product you love or a solution that you love, and then offer that solution to the people that you love and you can't fail in business. The sixth was the audacity of a promise. The unique selling proposition of a loan in 48 hours is what endeared his business to the people that he served because he valued and respected their time. The seventh is about unorthodox recovery methods. He says that was a responsibility that he took on because he found himself between two stakeholders, those who are trusted him with their money and those who are looking for solutions and how to keep their side of the bargain. And I love the part about it. I still am thinking about your mother's funeral. <laughs> With your cloth, your black cloth, and, and crying. Yes, to you, you change the default. <laughs> the aim is about Ubuntu. It says that we are in a world where you are supposed to leave an impact and make the world a better place. And it was a good feeling creating a business, serving people, employing people, and solving problems. And that was a special feeling. Mine is about people. It says, I believe in systems, I believe in institutions. I believe in property, but I believe even more in people. And he admits that some people that he trusted and let him down. The tenth is about culture. He says, culture can grow organically, and as you grow, it can be infused with the people that you are working with. But when 200 people are thrown into the business at once, they come with different cultures, and that can be very challenging for an existing organization because it dilutes the culture and creates difficulties. The 11th point is about growth. He says, grow your business, but know the optimum point, and at that point, reinvent. And the recommendation is that that optimum point is often 150 people. When you get there, pause and reinvent, or you could find difficulty. He says, the churches are doing that franchising model very well. The 12th, guess what? Everyone is unique, specially created by God. Find that thing that you are created to do. But first, gain some education and then go after that call and ask yourself, are you well prepared to solve that problem that you are trying to solve? If you are and you go for it, you will be even bigger than Prince Kofi Amari. Have I said it well? Absolutely fantastic. Oh, beautiful. Let's do this again. Whatever you, you want me, I will be there. You promise Absolutely. Right. This has been springboard your virtual university. Go get the book and read it and recommend it to a friend. Buy it on Amazon. Buy it on, on Booklook. Get the book and read it and share your thoughts on social media. Which lessons in the book are firing you up? And which of these 12, we, we normally do 10, but today we added two because it's a big businessman. So <laughs> 12 lessons. Which of these 12 lessons really touched you today? Let's do this again. This is a springboard brought to you by the Springboard Racial Foundation in partnership with the Multimedia Group and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, and the Graphic Business. On Tuesday, page 18 of the Graphic Business, one full page, 
dedicated to Prince Kofi Annan and this story that can't stop giving. Read it and let's continue this conversation. My name is Albert Okran saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. is